We've been discussing the problems with the art and business of medicine, as is currently practiced in the United States, with Dr. Douglas Peradnia. His book, Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine, has been discussed twice before on this show, and our previous talks can be found on our website, radioparallax.com. We spent about an hour to date detailing what's wrong with our system of healthcare delivery, and of course, plenty is. But at some point, we need to discuss with Dr. Prednia his, his prescription for fixing the mess, and today would be that day. So I say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Dr. Douglas Prednia. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. We should start by defining a few terms that we see get, get uh, thrown around. Um, how would you define that term, universal health care coverage? Well, what universal health care coverage means is that uh, everybody has equal ability or access to buy health care services. So uh, if um, uh, it, it does not matter whether the program is run by a government, it doesn't matter whether it's run by private insurance companies, uh, it doesn't matter um, whether it's a combination of the two, uh, and there are some countries that have combinations of, of the two, um, but it's that everyone has an equal opportunity to buy, health, to buy at least basic health care coverage uh, for for a, um, a what for them is a is a reasonable or acceptable price. Um, and when I say reasonable or acceptable, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, um, you know if you have uh, um, tons of money, then you have to pay a lot more. Um, or if you have very little money, you don't have to pay anything. Uh, what it means is that we equalize things out so that everybody can get basic coverage for what they need. And then if you would like more than that, you're free to purchase more um, either on the, on the open market. Well, as you know, we talk about insurance. That's a term that applies to private and, and public entities. That's correct. That's exactly right. An insurer is an insurer. Uh, it, it really doesn't matter. And there, there are many countries that have completely universal coverage that do it entirely through private insurers. Germany, for example, has 200 or more uh, private nonprofit insurance companies that provide all of the health insurance for everyone in the country. Well, in making arguments for and against uh, our changing our health care system, a lot of people insist that private markets need to be retained, and of course uh, you do too. It's rather central to your book. And, and why, do, why, do, why do you feel that is? Well, the, the, the reason is that unless you have a market, um, markets do things very subtly and very inexpensively, uh, but also very accurately in the long run that, that people can't. And one thing they can do is they can adjust for demand and they can adjust for supply. And they do that through the pricing mechanism. So the pricing mechanism sends a signal to people that says this is either in very short supply uh, or in very great demand, and therefore the price will go up. Uh, or um, we have way too much of this or, way, or nobody wants it, and therefore the price will go down. And what that does is it, is it steers uh, us in the economy, and particularly in the healthcare economy, towards um, allocating our resources to the right places. Otherwise, you have a system whereby uh, if, for example, the government sets all prices, um, you have shortages show up because some prices are set too low and surpluses because some prices are set too high and nobody's really very happy in the process. One example of that right now is the fact that the federal government um, has been setting the prices of physician services um, along with the American Medical Association, and uh, uh, the price uh, prices given to um, 
primary care providers has been too low. It's been too low for decades. And as a consequence, we have a severe shortage of primary care providers in the country. Uh, that's a very logical consequence of not using a market mechanism. Well, in our discussions of what's wrong with healthcare, we, we've talked a great deal about how uh, the market is not operating in American healthcare. <laughs> and of course, that, that, that's why I guess so high on your list of reforms. Yeah, exactly. Um, if, if you think about it, um, there are some structural requirements that, that any logical person, I think, might agree, um, uh, or even many illogical people <laughs> agree, um, that we, we need to have if we want to have a, a workable health care system. And, and you can look at health care systems all around the world, and, and some work and some don't, and, and to a large extent, the degree to which they work or not depends on these factors. Um, the first is that you have to have universal coverage, which means, again, everybody has to have the opportunity to buy health insurance at a, at a price that, that uh, they can afford for basic coverage. Um, and then the second thing is that um, you have to retain a private market for additional health care services because um, inevitably some people will uh, be wealthier than others and will want more health care services than others. And you could say, well, gee, we don't want a two-tiered system. We want to regulate everything, and therefore everybody has stuff that's equal. Well, even that is not going to work because those wealthy people will simply go elsewhere, like overseas, to buy their plastic surgery or their, their procedures that they want. Um, and so we're simply driving that demand uh, out of the country. We're losing that income and that revenue here, uh, which really doesn't make much sense. So no matter how you look at it, there are wealthy people and there are not as wealthy people in the world. And as much as we would like to have it otherwise, wealthy people uh, can afford more uh, and they get more of what they want than all of the rest of us. And we just kind of have to live with that. There's a two-tiered system in housing. There's a two-tiered system in food. There's a two-tiered system in uh, um, travel. Um, it's, it's going to be there in healthcare as well. You just have to accept it. Your, your book has a diagram that sort of explains how, how this would all work. We can't convey that very readily on, on, on the air, but just to kind of fast forward into it, under your system, you'd have um, a health savings account as a foundation superimposed on that. You'd have sort of a universal basic uh, health care plan. And then on top of that, you would have private insurers. So there'd be various, there'd be a floor set and then various um, uh, layers on top of that. Yeah, and there are a couple of important elements to that. The first is, is it's important that we divorce um, health care, the funding for all of that, from, um, from the workplace, uh, because that's, that, that just creates another layer of middlemen uh, that are channeling money. Uh, basically, all money for health care in the United States comes from households. It comes from you and me. And whether that comes is channeled through the workplace or channeled through taxes or channeled through whatever, um, basically, it's, we need to have a uniform, universal way, regardless whether people are employed or not, of somehow um, uh, either taking whatever um, uh, portion of their income or their wealth we think is important for them to contribute um, and putting that into individual accounts, which are used both to, as a um, uh, health care savings account and to buy insurance. Um, and by doing that, basically uh, everyone has the same opportunity, and if you don't have enough money, then the money is allocated for you 
to fill up the the deficit in what you what you might need to purchase basic health coverage and fill up your health care savings account. Which is your foundation, um, your, your health savings account foundation of the system. That's right, it is. And, and there are some good reasons for that, uh, the most important one being that unless people have skin in the game or they feel that they have skin in the game, in other words, that they have something to lose by using care inappropriately, people will overutilize health care. Just like if food is free, then you eat too much. Well, I can certainly I can certainly verify that that's been the case based on my experience in certain instances we'll talk about in a minute. But in your second tier, that, that universal basic health care plan, it's a little bit harder to explain, but let's 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 try and do that. How does that how does that superimpose on top of that that health savings account? Well, there there are various different ways you can do that. Um, but probably the 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 easiest to administer, the easiest to manage is by saying, okay, um, we have all these different treatments and all these different therapies and all these different diagnostic modalities and everything else. So why don't we uh, do some, some, some research and do some studies and figure out uh, how much it costs per unit of output. And in this case, the unit of output is what's called a quality-adjusted life year. And uh, basically, we say, okay, then we can afford a certain amount of care and we will pay, the insurance system will pay, the basic insurance system will pay anything up to X number of dollars uh, per quality adjusted life year that a given uh, procedure or, or therapy um, uh, produces. And the reason that's a nice way of doing it is because you can, it's completely, uh, pretty much objective and you don't have this problem of, of people saying, well, hey, this is my favorite disease and my favorite treatment, um, and so we want this to be completely covered even if the benefits are not necessarily as good as that disease or that treatment. Um, and it eliminates a lot of favoritism, basically. It, it allows the system to operate again um, without a lot of human intervention. You just say, okay, um, does a therapy produce the benefit we uh, the benefit um, uh, below the line that we've set, say twenty thousand dollars per adjusted life year? Um, and it's too complicated to talk about adjusted life years, you know, in this setting. But um, but if if it does, then we pay for it. If it doesn't, nope, it's not paid for, and you can buy it on your own. I want to reiterate what I said a second ago, and you said a second ago, was that it's important that the patient bears some financial responsibility to receive services because I can't tell you how many times working in an emergency room setting I saw people coming in to get cough syrup because they could do it for free. And that, that, has to be, that has to be gotten away from. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's human nature. There's no getting away from human nature. Well, you favor getting away from something else, which is providers being paid under our crazy Rube Goldberg device current system. They get paid to do things rather than get paid for their time spent, and that's something you, you want to see uh, we, us reversing. Yeah, the, the whole point of this, or uh, one whole point, is to simplify everything. And so the question is, what do we want to pay for? Now, it's impossible in healthcare to really pay for results because there are too many variables. There are too many variables of the patient and how compliant the patient is, the, the setting, their disease, their biology, the drugs and devices that are used. There are just too many variables to say, oh, we want to pay for a cure because... I'm sorry, that just doesn't exist, <laughs> typically. There are too many unknowns. So 
the question is, what are we really asking doctors and, and healthcare providers to contribute? And really, the only thing that they have to contribute is their time. And so if you're buying their time and their expertise, then the most simple, logical, and fairest way to do it is to basically pay them by the hour. And they can charge whatever they want. Um, and if their fees are higher than what we agree insurance uh, would cover, then any balance would be paid by the patient. If the fees are lower than what insurance would cover, then savings could be shared between the patient and the insurance company. And it's as simple as that. We should note, too, that in, in, in the system you envision, there's all sorts of ways for additional insurance layers to go on top of the basic coverage, which should allow a lot of, a lot of latitude in, in what people may or may not pay for. Absolutely. Uh, again, if, if you have the money and you have the desire to buy something that, that is considered a little more of a luxury, then, you know, if you want to buy that instead of um, baseball tickets or, or chocolate milkshakes, then you ought to have the right to do that. Well, um, in putting this together, you've stressed again and again and again that administrative costs are what, are what kill us in American medicine and that we can reduce this by, uh, by simplification. And, and one, big, one big payoff could come from standardization of insurance uh, costs across the country because it's all, break, it's all broken down by state currently. Yeah. Uh, and the other, the other nice thing is that, is that if, if um, every, every basic plan works the same way, then you can go across state lines and it really doesn't matter um, uh, if you transfer insurance companies the plan will be the same um, and if you buy additional coverage as say a second tier of coverage then that will work well too and the nice thing about that is everyone knows what to expect the doctors know what to expect the patients know what to expect the insurance companies know what to expect the government knows what to expect and and doing that can save just an enormous amount of money, billions and billions of dollars every year. And this is not something that, that is unusual. I mean, it's done in Germany. It's done in France. Um, we have a lot of uh, precedents for this in other countries. And uh, what's a little different here than, than in Germany and France is that they, they have different ways of um, deciding how to ration, um, the, uh, aside from... Um, uh, um, you know, a strict market-based kind of thing. The, the government frequently will set prices or decide how much to produce there. And that has advantages and disadvantages. But, um, you know, in, in this country, this is for what we're used to. This is probably the best way of approaching it. And we've talked before, you and I, about how, as you say in the book, rationing of care is inevitable since our wants are limitless, but our funds are always finite. But you, you stressed again that this should be done in overt a manner and simple a manner as possible. Exactly. Um, the, uh, here's the problem. If you have an insurance company that, uh, that says, yeah, we'll pay for that, but we're going to put up so many roadblocks that only people with a lot of time can get past them, that's called covert rationing, and that's a very cruel way of doing things. Basically, you don't know what to expect, and it's not uniform from person to person. And this whole business of, of saying, okay, we'll pay uh, up to this particular treatment line, um, and then beyond that, if you want something else, then, then you're on your own. It's all, it's all up front. And, and another real requirement for this is that the prices of everything are known, um, uh, that, that when you go to a doctor, you know exactly how many dollars per hour they charge. When you go to a hospital, you know how much they can expect to charge for the operating room and everything else. 
And if we have access to that information, we can actually make rational decisions about our health care along with the advice of our providers, um, just like we make rational decisions about airline tickets and, and hotels and, and everything else. The book is Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine. We're speaking with author Dr. Douglas Perednia. Uh, doctor, uh, one of the things we need to address if we're going to fix healthcare is the pharmaceutical uh, companies uh, directing so much of what we do. And uh, I know among other things you suggest is that we reassess drugs that are on the market, not just evaluate them before they're approved, which is how, how we currently do things. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You evaluate them before they're approved, and then after, uh, after they're on the market, we forget all about them uh, and, and, and have absolutely uh, no idea of how much those drugs are actually worth. Uh, in part because the prices are, are fixed by insurance companies or, or the government, um, and in part because nobody ever bothers to, to look in retrospect. A nice way of uh, doing that is to, is to basically set up um, what are called uh, reference prices for drugs, which says that for a given class of drugs that does a particular thing, um, we're willing to pay X number of dollars per month or per year so if you're, say, on drugs to lower your, your um, uh, high cholesterol in your blood, um, then you can say, well, there are different drugs to do that. We're going to pay for the typical drug to, to lower cholesterol, and that's, say, $8 a month. Uh, if you want a drug that's $10 a month, you pay the extra $2. If you want to use a drug that's $6 a month, you get to save the extra $2. Um, and uh, that, that kind of, same kind of thing applies to virtually everything. The, uh, the other um, key here, um, if, if I may, is to, is to also look at medical malpractice. That was, my, that was my next question. It seems only benefits lawyers currently. <laughs> it's another expense, which is, which is highly arbitrary and essentially parasitizing the whole system. And uh, what I've proposed is uh, actually similar to, to what um, uh, many other people have proposed in various settings, um, uh, which is to set up a dedicated system of medical malpractice courts, just like we have bankruptcy courts and tax courts and, and uh, um, uh, courts dealing with uh, interstate commerce and things like that, and, um, and basically have judges that do nothing but they are experts on what happens in the course of medical errors with, with predictability um, on the part of, uh, of the courts for, for both physicians and, uh, and patients, that, that when you get into a situation, you find out whether, whether there is really a, a mistake that was made or not, and if that mistake was uh, um, uh, um, one that could have been avoided, basically everyone knows what to expect from that point on. You don't have this, the lottery system that we have currently. Um, that actually, there are a lot of different estimates of how much that would save, but it's probably uh, the the case that the most savings would come from reductions in defensive medicine. Um, in other words, people aren't afraid all the time, and what people do when they're afraid is they defend themselves. In this case, by ordering tests and things that, that generally aren't needed, um, and uh, we could probably save at least thirty-five billion dollars each and every year by setting up a, a system of dedicated courts like that. When you add all of this stuff up, all of the savings you get from all the efficiencies, you actually end up with being able to save over $570 billion each and every year um, just by setting up a system that's very simple and predictable, and yet I think everybody can agree would be fair. 
Well, I, I'm I'm convinced that uh, you're on the right track with this thing. But how do we how do we now get our appropriate people, legislators and the like, to get on board? Well, the, the first thing is to <laughs> probably realize and understand and let them know that that what we've just passed, the Accountable Care Act, um, has none of these qualities. It's not fair. It's not efficient. It's not even financially sustainable. So we have to completely reopen and revisit the whole thing. And then uh, the second uh, point we need to get across is, you know what, Um, the whole thing needs to be simple. And so if you start with the principle that congressmen, uh, you know what, uh, the tax code should be simple so I know what to pay, the uh, system of of fines and punishments in the law should be simple so I know what to expect if I uh, double park, and our health care system should be simple in terms of its administration, operation, and, and, and being based on markets, um, that would go a long way because there's a lot of uh, obfuscation or confusion that gets uh, thrown in now where people say, oh, I want quality, I want uh, low cost, I want fairness. Well, you're not going to have any of those without simplicity. You really aren't. And so if you start with simplicity... Then the question is, what's the simplest system we can have that ends up incorporating quality, fairness, and everything else? Um, and I guarantee it's not going to be anything like uh, like we have currently envisioned in the Affordable Care Act. Well, I know that this radio program is heard uh, by people in our legislature and maybe can influence policy, and hopefully can, they can go to your uh, your website. Give us, let's plug that again for people have more information. Where can they go for, for more data? Sure, it's uh, www.roadtohealth, R-O-A-D-T-O-H-E-L-L-T-H.com. It's health as in hell, and then so, <laughs> uh, so it's roadtohealth, H-E-L-L-T-H.com, and, and there's a link to the book there. Um, and uh, if, if any of your listeners have any questions, uh, I'd be happy to, to address those in my blog and, and uh, uh, talk to any questions or comments they might have, or in fact, uh, take questions or comments from legislators as well. Well, I'm going to do what I can, Dr. Prednia, to get this book of yours in the hands of some people here that are that uh, influence policy. And uh, b- before we go, though, I just want to maybe you might want to throw a few things out about um, uh, things that you don't see we should do that would not be major features of your plan, if you can toss a few of those out. Here's one thing, having, having the government basically be the only insurance company and at the same time fixing prices. So it's actually okay. You can have a government be the only insurance company who has a, sets up a basic health care plan. I mean, there's no inherent reason you can't do that. Um, but if they're also fixing prices, then that becomes a terrible conflict of interest because uh, then you have individuals trying to decide what you as a patient um, ought to be doing. And uh, uh, they can't tailor it to your health. They can't tailor it to your your personal situation. That's why it's pretty important that we get away from health care based on uh, committees and and, uh, um, secretive court uh, rationing boards and councils and stuff like that as as the... um, uh, independent Payment Advisory Board is in, is in the, the Obamacare legislation, um, and get back to kind of a market-based system where it's patients and doctors who are deciding what they can afford uh, and what they want to do based upon the resources available. 
it's it's the really the the most important thing is is again simplicity and getting back away from people and back to markets. Well, the book is Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine, subtitled Stop the Bleeding and Save Trillions. We've been speaking with author Dr. Douglas Prednia. Uh, Dr. Prednia, I hope you can maybe review what we've done here and maybe come back for an addendum in a couple of months. And uh, I would also note to our listeners that there's a lot of graphs and diagrams in the book we can't very well explain uh, on the radio. So I think people are going to have to get a copy of it. Uh, It would be my pleasure to come back, and thanks so much for your time. Thanks for the folks listening. Well, you're welcome, and again, we'll, 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 we'll do an addendum in a couple months. Mm-hmm.